My name is Penny Lacasso and I am the world's first happiness hacker. Imagine a world where human happiness and well-being drove our decision-making. A world where technology was used to amplify human potential rather than replace it. The Human First Podcast is designed to encourage you to explore your curiosity about the future of humanity. Our conversations are focused on building skill in intentional adaptability, creating the foundation to positively influence the future for yourself, but also for others. Join me here each week as we put humans first. Abiola, a Jade Amobi, and I know that sounds really bad, but I'm just trying to say it correctly. Have I got it right? You did. Well done. <laughs> We're off to a good start. Welcome to Human First Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for the opportunity. Always a pleasure to reconnect with someone who is as inspiring as yourself. And I know it's been a while, while since we've spoken, but I think what better time to have a conversation than at a time when we're physically unable to do so. So let's do it digitally. The first question I have for you today is, I well, first of all, I met you, it must have been like two years ago at a Salesforce conference. Yeah, nearly two years now, yeah. Yeah, and we were speaking about um, diversity and inclusion. And I think, you know, um, with that context, we had a very interesting conversation. And today I want to really strip back to help people understand a little bit more about you because I got a bit of a window that day. And the first question I want to ask you is tell us who you are as a human being. Oh, there's different parts to me like every other human being. So I'm originally from Nigeria. I'm a mother of four. I work in the social innovation space. I... I'm a person of faith as well, so that drives most of my intuition and thinking and decision-making. I also am very passionate about refugees and people seeking asylum and how they are treated and supported in our community. So that gets, it paints a bit of a picture of you as a human. Now, because you're in the business of humans, really, in the context of your role, because your role at the moment, and correct me if I'm if I'm wrong, you are the Director of Innovation Hub at the Asylum Resource Centre. Yes, yeah, Asylum Seeker Resource Centre, yes. And so your, your whole job is about human beings, understanding them and supporting them. If I'm... So help me understand, what does it mean to you to be human? To be human for me means to be listened to, to be... Um, supported to be allowed to use my voice and speak my truth to be to be intentional particularly around our behaviors our language our actions and inactions yeah that's what human mean to me and also to be considerate and empathetic towards other people in the process yeah, so you use a key word there um, for me, which is intentional. And I think that's interesting because a lot of the work that I do at the moment is around supporting people in intentionally adapting. So rather than adapting unconsciously, which I think as humans we're very good at because it's been part of human evolution, our, our ability to adapt unconsciously is what's kept us alive. But what we now find is we really need to start bringing intention to how we adapt and, and that sort of consciousness and meaning to the forefront of it, especially in the, the context of the environment that we find ourselves in. So with that in mind, 
talk to me about the, or paint for us um, a picture of the current reality for you in the context of how you've had to adapt with COVID-19. Personally or professionally or both? Let's start with personally and then we'll jump into professionally. Yeah, I think personally for me, I'm a a glass half full person. So I'm always very optimistic, very charismatic and and vision driven. So, and also I've personally been through some major crises in my own life as well that has really shaped my resilience and and shaped the way I see life and the way I approach things. I must be honest with you, Penny, this is this COVID-19 space has really tested that and tested my resilience and my adaptability and my ability to actually continue to forge ahead despite the uncertainty. So I must say that my life experiences has always been my go-to space in terms of my head and go, you know what, I've deal with something like this. I just look for something that I can compare it to in my life, which I've been a lot, uh, to be honest with you, in my short life, and that I can say, oh, if I can go through this, I can go through the other one. So it, it just makes me forge ahead. But I think COVID-19 and the impact that that has had on me personally and mentally and how draining that has been, and also being a mother of four with all my kids in different levels of education, at this point, so I've got kids in uni, I've got one in secondary, I've got one in primary, and the homeschooling and dealing with all of that has really, really tested um, my resilience. Yeah. Oh, there's so many directions to take this. And as long as you're comfortable, I suppose the first thing I think people need to contextually understand when you say, you know, you've, you've moved through crisis, you yourself, I believe, um, were an asylum seeker, if I'm not yes. correct. So you've had to exit a country and seek asylum and um, so you've been through significant adaptation in that context yes and the skills as you say um that are born out of that are in the space of resilience what other skills have you learned through these sort of massive crises that you've gone through and you've basically navigated I think another special one that I really appreciate and I protect so much is contentment I'm being grateful I'm being gr- and the sense of gratitude. I say contentment because life's become so small when you are in a space where you can't really control a lot of things that you often have that level of control over. Yep. I call it when money fails, you know, and when things that matters to you the most are unattainable, like family like friends, like people that you can call on to and have coffee with and things like that. And you still have them, but you can't reach them. You can't do the things that you do together. Sometimes you can't even contact them or know where they are or how they're doing. When all those things fail you, I think that's where humanity actually gets really tested and questioned around you know, what actually matters. And you just have this sense of contentment and gratitude from within that fills you up because you have to see life very differently in that situation. And every little thing actually matters. So I think your situation is fascinating. You're in the office today. You've got four children across different, as you say, um, levels of education at the moment. 
you're also, you know, obviously running um, uh, or helping run a business for asylum seekers, which can be stressful at the best of times, I imagine, and the demands on your time would be significant. You've said even with your foundations of resilience and what you've been through in your life, this is still a challenging time. What is most challenging in terms of if you can break it down into what, what specific thing is most challenging um, and, and sort of, you know, how are you, how are you moving, like how are you just trying to get through the next 24 hours? What sort of things are you doing to help you? I think being present, it's one of the things I found really helpful in this situation because it gets really overwhelming when you have to think about the future, recovery, and, you know, normality, what does that look like and how do we get through it and how do we achieve that and what does it actually look like? What's the new world post-COVID-19 looks like? There's so many things to think about there and how do I even fit into that world? You know, so all those things kind of get really overwhelming. So I think one of the things that I've been kind of dwelling on is being present as much as possible and taking it a day, sometimes an hour at a time. I'm making sure in the midst of that, I'm making not only quick decisions, but um, responsible decisions, particularly around my children and how I support them and how I do my work, because I know a lot of people um, are gonna be impacted by my actions or inactions or decisions. So it's always very important for me to, to be very conscious of how, of how I'm doing that, even though I'm trying to do it as quickly as possible. So how are you now four kids at home and working? I'm intrigued. Oh, I tell you, sometimes I question myself. <laughs> like, am I insane? Am I, you know, should I be doing this? I was working into work. I was coming into work yesterday and literally climbing the staircase. And I got maybe the seventh or eighth WhatsApp message from my daughters. And I just felt like, should I turn back? Or should I actually go in? Which one is better use of my time right now? Am I going to function at work, you know, and, and concentrate and all of that? And and also being a mother of girls means that there's a lot of emotions that I expressed. And that's some, sometimes to me, it's a privilege because it's a deeper relationship with your kids, but at the same time, it carries its own burden as well because it's seeing you as someone that knows it all and can fix it. And so getting on the phone to mom is the... The triple zero of, of my family, so it's really can have there's a lot of responsibility on the shoulder. What do you have to compromise to create the space for these foundations to remain? Oh, that's an in- interesting question. If I can reflect on that very well, I think one of the things is to prioritize and mm. be humble about what I can and can't do. I feel that one of the attributes of leadership is humility and, and we need to be able to come to the place of, you know, I can't do it both now and it's okay. I might miss a deadline. It's okay. I might miss my daughter joining a Zoom class. You know, it's okay. And I'm being taking it easy on myself. I'm being humble about the fact that I can't actually control it all and it doesn't make me less of a super mother. I love that. Being, I mean, there's just such beautiful messages in what you're saying, you know, being present, humility, um, just accepting that you, you can't do it all and, and saying that sometimes it just doesn't matter. Like I think we're so good at focusing on all the things that we don't do and that we don't do well and beating ourselves up and now is just not the time for that. I was sharing with my two of my, I've got twins that are 18-year-olds and I was sharing with them over the weekend about a post I saw on Facebook of someone saying, you know, 
there's been seeing all this um, post around how to make the best use of your time during COVID-19, how to exercise, how to stay fit, how to read or undergo a course and all of that. And she, the person put it very perfectly and said, you know what, I'm not doing any of that right now. And I think it's okay. And you don't know how this kind of simple messages get to other people and, and, and give you a sense of relief. It's not a burden that society is put on you, it's a burden that we put on ourselves. And sometimes when you hear other women or other mothers expressing that, it's just so powerful. And I was telling my daughters of how much that got to me, you know, in terms of feeling like, oh, thank you. I can breathe. I know. And I just keep saying, you know, I, I observe all of what's going on online and I just, every conversation I have um, and responses that I see, it just... People are just trying to get through the next 24 hours, let alone you know, the next six months. And you mentioned, you know, the, the fact that so many of us are sitting there going, well, what does my future look like and what is my role within it? And then the next day everything changes again. So it's 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 such a complex environment to navigate. Why why not just focus on the next 24 hours for now and give yourself that gift? I'm being grateful for the fact that we actually... In our 24 hours, there's a level of sanity within that. Oh, and be grateful that we're in Australia. I mean, I think there is a lot. I couldn't think of a better place to be right now whilst, you know, yeah, life's not what it was. It's still it's still pretty damn good contextually. Um, I'm really interested now in, in, in tapping a little bit into your work. So what, what has this um, pandemic, what impact has this pandemic had on the work that you do with asylum seekers. Can you paint us a picture of how things have changed? Yeah, I, th I feel that the pandemic was a direct threat to all the amazing work we've done in the Innovation Hub. Our work are very long-term driven. Our work are very focused on helping people to embrace the Australian opportunity. Our motto has always been, we cannot determine your visa outcomes. We cannot determine how long you're going to be in this country for, if you're going to ever see your children or your family again. All the things that you worry about are so important to you. We respect that, but we can't determine it and we can't predict it. But what we can help you with is what you do on a day-to-day -day basis and the kind of story you want to tell in that process. So we help people to be present. We help them to be more intentional in how they use their hours, their days, what they like to get out of being in a country like Australia, you know, in terms of education. I've even made examples multiple times to some of our members, which is our clients, we call them members. And that, you know, I can't imagine you going on a plane, you know, being repatriated back to your country. And someone said, oh, can I check your bag, please? You've got three certificates there that belong to the Australian government. Can we have it back? No, it's your intellectual knowledge. It's something you've gained, it's something you're better off for. So you might as well just use your time to build yourself up for the future. That you, It's uncertain, but if it arrives or eventuates, whatever it looks like, you're better off with the journey that you've been through within that time. So that's the kind of thing that we do. We help people to realize themselves, tap into their potential, reskill, re rediscover, re-engage themselves with employment, with social participation, with things that they could do meaningfully to gain a level of independence and control and agency in their lives on a day-to-day -day basis while they are with their visa determination process. So that's what that's the work we do in a broad term. 
And, and I think that the COVID-19 incident became a very direct threat to that because we were seeing people that have been independent for three, four years, that have found a job, that have even climbed the career ladder and feeling very useful and contributing back to society, now losing work and coming back to us again. And we having to give them food. That That's really, really challenged me. And I think that's one of the things that I've, I've really struggled with through this process is seeing people take two, two and sometimes five steps backward. And all of a sudden, their dark clouds begin to show up again. You know, all the things they think they've, they've overcome mentally or psychologically begin to repeat itself. Yeah, and, and having to have the bravery as, as a leader, as a team member in, in our organization to say, you know what? We want to continue to innovate through this. We want to continue to be creative. We want to make sure that people are supported in the best way possible. And that COVID-19 is just not, it's not determining their future. It's actually part of an incident, which is one of the things that Australian government has done for us as citizens to say, you know, we'll provide the safety net, we'll provide you all these opportunities so that we can minimize the impact of COVID-19 on your family so that the recovery can be a lot more achievable, which in, in the sad case of people seeking asylum, they're not eligible for those services. So they're coming to you with the intention of being able to provide help, provide clarity. What does this stimulus mean to me? How can I achieve? How can I and be part of it? How can I get back into work very quickly? Guess what? There's not a lot of job out there at this moment. You know, So it's all that and not being able to provide the level of support that we usually can based on the leverage of community generosity, small businesses, cafes that have trusted us, brokered jobs with us on a no-fee-for-service level. And we've been able to find them really competent individuals that have been proud to call a staff member. And those people are now having to go back to even struggling to get a roof, maintain a roof over their head. I think that's one of the things that has been that has been very challenging for me. In my time here at the ASRC in the last four years, we've been able to find employment for up to a thousand people. And two thirds of those are sustainable employment. And we think most of those that are, we are celebrating as victories as something that we've, we've worked together very hard on now losing their work and, and going back to basics. I think that's been the challenging part for my for me as a person. And I think professionally as well, it's about supporting my team through that. Because sometimes as leaders, when we, we can wear the brunt of what's happening and how and, and how our team are coping. But the reality is that we can only hold their hands or support them or send emails or provide drinks after work or things just to kind of support them. But they actually have to face those members face to face and have difficult conversations. And, and help them and reassure them. And most of the time they don't have anything to actually offer rather than to just to say, hang in there, we can work through this, you know? So that's, and to me as well, it's about, there's no better time for me to be there for my team than now. And being able to make sure that they know that actually I support them and, and I see them and I see how hard their work is. So these are quite frankly, the people who are falling through the cracks. Yes. You said the word creative. We need to get creative. What does creative look like in helping to support these people? Like if you if you could paint a picture of what would be ideal in supporting these people now, if you could get the resources that you need, what, what would that look like? 
Yeah, I think I think one of the direct response, which is why we fought this so much through advocacy and all of that, is safety net. If you don't want people to fall backwards and you want to maintain their job readiness, you want to maintain their ability to transition back into work, particularly the ones that have had sustainable employment for a while, they are the best cohort or candidate to compete in post-COVID-19 space with the mainstream you know, employment space. So being able to provide them safety net to keep their mental and emotional and psychological well-being together to be able to find that work and be able to sustain that new employment is really important. And given that we don't have that safety net in the federal level, has been really has been really a blow to 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 a lot of our people, particularly for those that have worked in Australia for five, six, seven years and have been paying tax and doing all of that and feeling that that deep sense of injustice and unfairness and they don't really have anywhere to go back to, you know, at the stage. So they because they're still going through the visa determination process and all of that. So that's been um a bit challenging. But in terms of creativity, I, I feel that where creativity comes into play is where we acknowledge the crisis, you know. We can't we can't hide away from it. And I've explained, I think, to, to, an, to an in depth with you now about acknowledging that crisis. But within that, going, what can we control? What can we do? What's the most important now that can help people a bit? Is it information? How do we create it? What's the most important information they need to know now? You know. So what? That's one of the things we did straight away. Just try to understand all the things that are available put it straight into a fact sheet, send it to people, give, making sure that they can maintain some level of control about how they deal with their lives. So that's one of the most important things for us. If they want to find work, how can they find work? If they are jobless and depending on their visa eligibility, what do they have the right to access? What do they have the right to access? You know, the, the information about $10,000 they can take out of their super, all of those things we consolidate it into an information quickly for them so that they can actually read through and go, you know what, I'm eligible for this, I'm not eligible for this, I can't do this, I can't do that. This is available from this period. Can I cope from now? If, if I have a savings, would that keep me? pending the time I access my super, you know, all those things are the things that we quickly worked on very quickly. And that was the creativity of my team in terms of making those, making sure those informations are simple, are plain, are straight to the point. People are already stressed, you know, can't inundate them with too many information. But when you're sending it out, it's actually vital, it's actually meaningful to them and they can actually see how that it improves their lives or improve their decision making. I think another thing around creativity as well is really researching what opportunities are out there? Because there's still opportunities out there. Yeah. On a state level and a federal level, there's still opportunities out there. And seeing how we can bring be on the front foot to start to create partnerships so that we can unlock those opportunities for our community. And there's quite a few things in the pipeline which I can't really yeah. go into now because it hasn't eventuated yet. But I tell you, my time, most of them, my time I've been invested into things like that. So really knocking, code calling, calling big organizations or, or businesses that are employing big this time and really advocating for our people. It's not about people seeking asylum. We're not, we're not doing any sympathetic plea. They don't deserve to be, to be treated that way. I think they have the competence, they have the capabilities, they have the qualification, they have all it takes to do the job. It's about, we have a suitable candidate for you and could you consider them? And by the way, they're actually going to be hard done by, by, not, by more than average people because yeah, they don't because have... they won't get any of them. So you said a safety net. When you say a safety net, are you talking a financial safety net just so that we're... Definitely. Financial safety net. It, has a, it plays a key role 
in keeping people mentally, socially, psychologically, and physiologically stable through the COVID-19 space. Another creative thing we did very quickly was to write to most employers that have got people seeking asylum in their workforce and making decisions around redundancies and all of that. So just to help them to realize that some of those decisions have some significant impact. And if they could keep them in work for as long as possible would be the best way to support them as their employees. So just looking, doing some little, little things like that, that goes a long way. But again, everything that you, well, it's really interesting to me because all of the work you do, as you say, like pre-COVID, was all about helping people. All the skills are completely relevant to now. It's focused on what you can control, not what you can't. Be grateful um, with what you have, yeah? Be present and in the moment. Like these are such simple things that we hear time and time again, but they're so important um, at the moment. And the way, even the way that you have explored creativity whilst you've done it in the context of asylum seekers, it's um, a beautiful example of how in adversity there is still, you know, there's still opportunity and possibility. It's just being in that space of kind of what what can I do now to make my situation, even if it's just that, that tiny bit better. I just kind of talk about it in the context of acts of micro-bravery. You mentioned bravery earlier. You know, it's like how do you bring your courage to the fore and just do small things every day that make you feel a little bit uncomfortable or a little bit scared to build that resilience at a time when things are so, so challenging? It's only going to serve you. And, and most of the time, when it comes, especially when it comes to innovation, whether it's social or technological or digital, it's all about just testing it. Don't be afraid of trying. Just try. It might work. It might not work. Try something else. So it's just about being able to do those kind of things very quickly and in a simple way that takes less less resource or less and time and actually test it. Does it work? Then let's put more effort into it. So... One of the last questions I want to ask you, because I'm always interested in this, what one question do you wish people would ask you that they never do? So what, what one thing would you love to talk about that you're passionate about that no one kind of ever goes to? That's a very interesting one. I don't think I've thought about that question before. But just to say something now, and hopefully I might not change my mind in the next half an hour, <laughs> what I would probably like someone to ask me when they meet me as a person it's actually, how are you? I'm being, I'm being incredibly genuine about it. I've had people before even asking my name, ask where I'm from, why I came to Australia, and you know things like that. There's curiosity in it, so I don't take a lot of offense in that. But at the same time, I just like people to, to be a bit more humanistic around how we approach each other and be more... Intentional. I, I love the word intentional. Most of my most of my the things I do on a day-to-day basis is very intentionally driven. But I feel if someone could actually ask how am I? I I came to Australia and one of the things that really surprised me was how people could say how are you and just walk away. Like not not even expecting a response. They're not wanting the answer. They just expect yeah. you to say and they're working and I'm going, I haven't even responded yet. Where are you going? You know, I think just that, just that genuineness of wanting to check in and, and really give me the space and the opportunity to respond in my own truth, rather than trying to align the question to a particular direction, whether it's my culture, my race, my beliefs, you know, things like that, and just make it very plain, simple, and treat me as a person, you know, and be genuine about it. I think that's one, something I would 
really are privileged. Remind me how long you've been in Australia. Oh, I don't count anymore because it's like the time goes so quickly. But I think it's nearly 12 years now. Yeah, it's been, it's been a while. And my, if my memory serves me correctly, when you came to this country, you couldn't speak English? Not very well. Not very well. Not very well. I had to do up to a year of English classes. And so you came here as a seeker with very limited English and just in just 12 years' time, you're now uh, a leader helping others who are in the same position as you to basically, again, intentionally adapt in the context of their circumstances to be able to make the most of, of where they're at. Kudos. I think you summarised this really well, but I wanted to say that part of why I... I'm so driven. It's because I believe there's so many of myself in the asylum-seeking community that people need to see. Yeah. Which is why I, I put a lot of my effort in bringing people out there and showcasing their capabilities and, and what they can bring to the table and how skillful they are if they're given an opportunity. Because I think one of the things that I've benefited the most in being in this country is opportunities. And I know there's so many people that want to embrace that as well, if only if they're allowed or given the space or the room to. And so if I close out by asking you, and I know before we turned the recorder on, I did ask you, but tell us how you are. <sighs> I think I am doing well, coping. Very, I'm always very, I'm always a very positive person. I'm always very glass half full person. So that my level of intentionality is actually much more present. Now I'm, I'm, I'm making sure that I'm keeping that spirit regardless of what is happening. So before I just do it to do it because it's my, in my nature. But now I feel like I have to remind myself more often about you know, who I used to be and the fact that there's actually something in me that needs to continue to maintain that despite the uncertainty and the chaos or the crisis that we're facing. And I and I would say, yeah, personally, I'm coping as a mother and doing what most mothers are doing um, at the moment in terms of managing, juggling work life, homeschooling and all of that. And professionally, I feel when, when, when you're so into this innovation space, crisis actually energizes you. It becomes a fuel for creativity and action and, and, and resilience and all of that. So I, I feel like I'm in my, in, probably call it my best because I'm thinking more and I'm making sharp and quick decisions than I would otherwise not do. So I'm, I'm seeing this crisis situation as more of a positive in terms of my professional life and yeah than than otherwise would be because it's actually forcing me to one piece of closing advice for anyone who is struggling at the moment in the context of what we're all going through yeah my my advice would just be simple breathe just take the time to breathe take the time to breathe make sure you breathe in out in out just breathe my, you are an enigma, a beautiful enigma, and God knows the world needs more people like you, Abiola. Thank you so much. Thank you for your time and for the opportunity. It's been a reflective um, experience for me, you know. Tell us 
how people can find out more about your work or contribute or do something in any way um, to, to walk us out? Okay. So how they can find out about our work is going to our website, www.asrc.org.au. How they can contribute is if you have a little talking in this time. I know it's a very tough time for everyone. Please contribute. Please donate. It goes a long way. If you or your family member or friends or relative have a small business or a big business or a part of a large corporation and recruitment, please be in touch with us. We have the skills. We have the competence. We have the incredibly brilliant people that will be a valuable contribution to your team that we can match recruitment opportunities with or to. Also, I think how people can contribute is to talk about what we do and share about the plight of people seeking asylum because I think it needs to be more visible. So many people see different stories on the news, but I tell you these are human beings that would need to be seen as one. And at the end of the day, we are all part of one big human family and I think this pandemic has been a clear example, as you said, of how small we really are in the context of this world. But the one thing we all have in common is that we are human beings. We're part of the one species. We need to start acting like one big human family rather than a fragmented one. Thank you so much. Thank you, Penny. Lovely chatting to you. Thank you for joining us today on the Human First podcast. If you loved your experience, please take a moment to leave a review on either iTunes or Stitcher and provide us with a rating. If you'd like to access the show notes or learn more about what we're up to in the context of humanizing the future, jump on over to humanfirstpodcast.com. See you next week.